This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Facing a deadly virus that prevents large groups of people from gathering safely, artists in central Florida have found new ways to keep the performing arts alive. While many have moved online, finding new audiences via Zoom and other streaming platforms, live performances have resumed as well, but with a difference. Coming up, we'll talk with experts and entrepreneurs from Central Florida's art scene about pivoting to outdoor performances and socially distanced audiences. We're joining me, Cole Neesmith. He is the founder and executive director of Creative City Project. Cole, thanks for being here. Of course. We're also joined by Jim Helsinger, artistic director of Orlando Shakes. Jim, thank you as well. Hi. And Foster Cronin, vice president of programming with the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. Foster, thank you so much as well. Thank you. Obviously, we're in a slightly different era, uh, February 2021, than we were February 2020, right? It's been a pretty strange year, especially for the performing arts, having to figure out this new normal. I wanted to start by asking, how do you feel this far into the pandemic and kind of contemplating a return to live performances with live audiences Jim, I know you've got a production kind of underway. Why don't you kick us off? Uh, well, we have a lot of things <laughs> underway. Currently, uh, My Lord, What a Night is uh, uh, available as a virtual performance. Um, My Lord, What a Night was in its dress rehearsal in March when we had to close down mm-hmm. and sat in the theater just waiting for us to come back for almost a year. Um, and uh, we were lucky enough to make uh, a deal with Actors' Equity, the Professional Actors' Union, to film it, um, uh, but not without a live audience. That's the last of our virtual performances. And now we'll be opening very soon Josephine in our new outdoor tent cabaret theater at Orlando Shakes. And then our big efforts will be at Lake Eola this spring for A Midsummer Night's Dream and Little Shop of Horrors in April and May. So there's a, a lot growing and coming forward as we go into the spring for outdoor performances for us. It must be kind of weird to to be in the middle of putting on a performance and then have to shut it down and then revisit that same performance. I mean, does it feel like you're starting from scratch with Oh, What a Night or are you just picking up where you left off? Um, it, was, uh, it was kind of like uh, everybody got raptured March 23rd and was just gone because there was, because we just left, assuming we would come back, you know, pretty quickly. So for a while there were, half empty Coke cans and, you know, just, it was just as if the people had disappeared and that just sat there for months. But what was great was when we came back, we were in the same place we were before. We had to rehearse a little longer and we had to re-memorize lines. Um, But a real blessing, that's a world premiere, brand new play, My Lord, What a Night. And over the summer, the playwright did a whole rewrite of Act Two. That's fantastic, that we like better than what we had in March. So we came back better Mm -hmm. uh, in the long run and... Um, our local audiences are, are not going to be as large for a virtual performance as they would be live. However, it also then makes it available for people across the country to see, uh, who otherwise wouldn't be in here, here in Central Florida. So there have kind of been pros and cons to the virtual performance. Mm-hmm. It was weird and freaky to come back, but uh, also, boy, if all that set and lights and costumes would never have seen an audience ever, that would have been the biggest tragedy, mm-hmm. and that and that didn't happen. So we're happy. Uh, Foster, the Front Yard Festival with the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. You've had a lot of daily events, um, lunch and exercise classes, for example. Um, are you seeing some people come back to those events? I mean, do you have some regular guests to those things? 
Yeah, we definitely do. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to partner with the YMCA here as well as the Musicians Union uh, to start these. And um, these are absolutely free daily events. They're morning classes with uh, the YMCA. And then we do a live and local uh, lunch uh, series where people can come and, and order lunch from our restaurant partners down there, as well as watch um, these uh, local musicians get back to work. You know, we did a soft launch of these in December, um, and then we've just been pushing it out, trying to get word of mouth, as well as uh, doing all of our marketing efforts. And we've just seen uh, more and more people coming down. There's a real hunger for people to get out and experience art and uh, get together in a safe and socially distanced way. Um, so we were really excited to, to provide that opportunity. Do you actually, for some of the performance you have performances you have coming up this year, are you going to have people in literal bubbles I'm, I'm kind of you know thinking some restaurants I guess have taken that uh, approach in New York City for example or you know other places like what's your kind of protocol for keeping audiences safe and distanced when they're appreciating these these uh, events well we were lucky enough to uh, have uh, lead support from our health partner Advent Health um, who's taken a big lead along with our city of Orlando and Orange County and uh, 20 of our other partners. But uh, through that relationship with Advent Health, we were able to uh, put together a, a, a great list of health and safety protocols that have allowed us to create these boxes uh, where people go to experience the concert. They buy uh, two to five tickets um, in the box. Um, and so they are their own unit. Uh, when they get into the box, um, they uh, are able to take off their mask, and uh, we uh, were able to start this uh, great um, dinner service and lunch service where we partnered with uh, various restaurant partners to offer a wide array of um, dining options. And there's a QR code on each of the boxes, and you can download a menu, um, pick what you want to eat, and then it gets delivered straight to you. So um, you have... Uh, a wide array of, of things to choose from. And then, you know, everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody has to socially distance as much as they can. Um, it's been extremely successful uh, so far. And uh, all the patrons coming uh, have said that they're just amazed at how, how well we have done with that. Cole Neesmith, your name is synonymous with uh, the big outdoor extravaganza that you produce or you, you were producing every year, the Immerse Festival, what about Down the Rabbit Hole and Bright Young Things? Tell me about the, the thinking behind that and how your thinking might have changed a little bit in terms of how that might have been produced before the pandemic and what you're going to do now. Yeah, I would say the last year has been bittersweet uh, in similar ways that Jim mentioned. And I think all of us feel very deeply for the actors and our colleagues and ultimately our friends who have been so negatively impacted in the entertainment and arts industries. Um, but at the same time, there's this kind of idea from improvisation that everything is an offer. And I think that we see arts organizations embracing that reality that, of course, there are so many difficult things that have been happening, but also this is an opportunity. And one of the things that we're committed to is creating programming in interesting spaces. And so when we couldn't do things inside and we're really used to doing stuff outside, it kind of was an opportunity for us. And so, you know, we created Bright Young Things in the alleyways and open spaces of downtown Orlando. And we were able to employ 
about a dozen actors to bring that original production to life. And we brought theatrical lighting to all of those outdoor spaces. And we worked with all of our venue partners in the city of Orlando to make that happen. And I think all of us are experiencing the insanity of the logistics of creating things that are outside of what we normally do. But I think creativity is all about finding solutions to problems. Mm -hmm. And so we produce creative content, but we also have gotten creative in how we produce that content. If you're just joining me, my guests are Cole Neesmith with Creative City Project, Jim Helsinger with Orlando Shakes, and Foster Cronin with the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. We're talking about how arts organizations in Central Florida have adapted to this new reality in the pandemic and putting on live performances once more. So Jim... Orlando Shakes got a start at the performing Shakespeare at Lake Eola. Do you feel like you're returning to your roots in a way? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, the festival started in 1989. At, it was the first event at the, at the, it opened the amphitheater um, slightly before my time. I came in 92, but I performed there for almost 20 years uh, before we were finished building our, our, our home in Lock Haven Park. Um, so it's nostalgic to go back to where we started. I, I think under challenging circumstances, the backstage area is not very large. We're going to have to put up tents in the back so people can be socially distanced backstage. It seats a thousand seats. We're only going to have 275 people. Um, we're working with our the same health partner with Advent Health on making sure that people are all, uh, it, you, you tend to buy in groups of two, maybe three. Um, and there's a row in between and six feet in all directions. Um, figuring all that out has been a, uh, uh, challenging but uh you know lake Eola is just such a beautiful location and i think it will be very nostalgic for so many people mm-hmm. um quite honestly people who met I, I i constantly run into people who say i'm married and my first date was coming to something at lake Eola that the shakespeare theater was doing so uh, i think it'll have some nostalgia and, and maybe there'll be you know new people meeting who are then going to get married 10 years from now mm-hmm. or five years from now so, uh, yeah, when we were looking for an outdoor venue, the, the first thought was Lake Eola. And I'm so happy that the city was uh, willing to work with us on making that, that happen for us because that was our home for 20 years. Foster, as far as the artists go, have you had difficulty booking performances or are touring artists just happy to actually find a venue that's open and can, can uh, offer them a stage to perform on? Yeah, um, it, it's been a great response from artists, uh, just in the same way that it's been a great response from audience members. I mean, the the biggest thing that happened when everything shut down so abruptly, and I mean, the industry just everywhere shut completely down and that's never happened. Um, You know, in any sort of touring industry, I mean, I think it rocked rocked that world. And so uh, everyone was dying to see something that was uh, constructed um, with all of those health and safety protocols put in place mm-hmm. and some place that they could um, make sure that everybody in the audience was safe, but everybody uh, on their tour was safe. They were safe. Um, but, you know, every agent, uh, every manager that I talked to that has uh, seen this or, or um, experienced it, they have just thanked us profusely for it. Um, they said, you know, it is so amazing to get back in front of a live audience. Um, yeah, it, for, for months in the beginning too, there was a lot of streaming performances and a lot of, um, and, uh, you know, everybody was trying to get back into that connection, but there is nothing like a live 
uh, performance mm-hmm. between an artist and and the audience. Cole, down the rabbit hole, I believe will be your third outdoor entertainment offering since the pandemic. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, what have you learned from those previous experiences? Were you trying to like? Did you take on too much in your first one, and you like had to recalibrate, or or have you've just been able to able to accrete things as you go along and sort of change how you do things? Yeah, I think the lesson that we've learned over and over again is just let let what is be and roll with the punches. Uh, and as I know that Shakes, you know, performing outside at Lake Yola for so long, there are things that the actors are instructed to do when those blaringly loud fire trucks uh, drive by. And, you know, it's just the same thing. There are so many unexpected elements that present themselves when you're in an outdoor space, mm-hmm. whether that's a person or a vehicle or weather in Florida, you know, all year long, there's just this question mark of everyone's looking at their phone the week of the performances and wondering what it's going to be like on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And so there are just so many variables that when you're in indoor space, you don't have to deal with, but when you're outdoors uh, and, and it's not about fighting those factors, it's about embracing them, accepting them for what they are and figuring out how you can create a compelling guest experience in the midst of all of the insanity. So you've got to bring some of those improv uh, chops to the to the uh, to the stage. For sure. And it's fun to collaborate with actors to say, okay, we don't know exactly what's going to happen at all times, but we trust you. We trust you with the script, but we also trust you with these audience members and with this show when the unexpected inevitably happens. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's the other there's the other factor, too, of going outside also prevents some opportunities. So down the rabbit hole you mentioned is happening at Mead Botanical Gardens. And that is just such a beautiful natural space to begin with. And then when we go in there and we add 125 colorful production lights and light that forest up at night, even if there were no actors and no narrative unfolding there, it's just a beautiful place to walk around and it presents that space in a totally fresh way. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, I'm, I'm curious, what do you tell your actors if a fire truck goes by? <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Lake, uh, it's wonderful to perform outside when it isn't really cold, mm-hmm. when it's not raining, when three helicopters who are actually coming to see the magic game or something, you know, uh, then go and circle your amphitheater for a while because they see Lake Eola and they come over. We used to have to call the executive airport and say, can you get the helicopters to leave Lake Eola? You know, so those things are going to happen and the audience and the actors are going to have to get used to it. But I've been literally myself in the middle of a speech on Lake Eola, stopped, let the fire truck go by. kicked right back up again and you know what happens audiences go crazy Mm -hmm. that's what happens it's live performance something that is absolutely what do we live for what do we most want something that is absolutely unique to my experience right now live theater does that and live theater that's outside for sure something is going to happen that has never happened before Mm -hmm. and will probably never happen Again, I mean, one one spring, I, I, I hope this doesn't happen this year, uh, a, 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 a goose family had made its home right by the amphitheater. And the city moved it when we started rehearsals, but they didn't like that. They kept coming right back to the amphitheater. And about 20 minutes into the show, 
you would hear and the gooses would make their way down to a grassy area you're like well they're gonna enjoy the show too tonight i you know it's that's live that's that's part of what makes live unique and fun and if we don't fight that it it fosters a sense of camaraderie we're in this together between the actors on stage but also the actors in the audience and we're just all in this together Foster, can you apply the same principles to music uh, or is it a little more kind of regimented? I, I guess if, if somebody's playing some jazz or something, they may be able to work the siren sounds into their improvisation. But <laughs> are, are, there, are there some challenges to a, a musical performance being outdoors that you don't, you may not be able to adapt to as well as a, a theatrical performance? Yeah, you know, it depends on what's being performed. If you've got a if you've got a rock show out there, you know, um, sometimes the rock show is even louder than the sirens or the noises right. that are going by. But if you've got a, a classical, um, you know, uh, performance and there's some, you know, sweet silent moments, um, you will hear a siren. But you know, to to that point, what Jim and Cole were saying, um, the audiences are so forgiving, and so are performers. I mean, you know, you you uh, we had an Orlando Philharmonic concert uh, this past Saturday, um, and uh, you know, they they loved getting out and performing. The audience loved it. There were outside noises, but everybody just played through it and still enjoyed a wonderful art form. So, um, I think just the fact of bringing everybody back together and this community uplift outweighs any kind of distractions. And none of this is really particularly new. It's not like there haven't been pandemics or outdoor performances before. Mm -hmm. The plague hit Shakespeare, I don't know how many times. And we, one of the things we do know about the Globe Theater is it was right next to a bear baiting pit. So there was a, during the middle of Midsummer Night's Dream, you probably heard from the bear baiting pit next door. That's 400 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and audiences loved it then. And they, they still do now. We're going to make it through pandemics and we're going to make it through rain and cold and blimps and fire trucks. I want to ask you all a a question as a kind of a wrap up here. Um, And I'll start with you, uh, Jim, after the pandemic, are there some practices you think your theater will keep? from this experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of our pushes as a theater has been to move towards filming our performances to make them available for a national audience. And we've already done that with our children's shows. Um, but we hadn't yet done it with uh, our professional, uh, uh, with the shows we do with the Actors Union, because there really weren't the protocols set up to do that. Well, now they're starting to be set up. And um, I think we and you and everybody is realizing, boy, there are an awful lot of meetings that you drove to for 45 minutes to sit in a room with somebody that nobody is ever going to do again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if there's not manual labor or something that needs to be done, an awful lot of meetings are just going to become virtual meetings. And we're all going to save travel time. We're all going to save money. We're all going to save gas and less pollution, et cetera. So I think those are going to happen. And And for us, it's mostly going to be about um, the future of filming what was only local and will still be local, but will now go to a national audience. And that's probably, we've probably moved forward five years to a decade faster mm-hmm. than I think we would have done. Foster, what about uh, Dr. Phillips Center? Yeah, I think there are a number of things that um, sort of fast track to what Jim was saying. We were, we were moving in those directions, um, but this really sort of put it on the, on the burners. We, um, 
we implemented our security system, which is uh, our Evolve system. It's a contactless system where people literally just walk through um, and it scans your whole body. And, um, you know, we've been able to get an increase of people coming through without having to do any wanding or anything like that. And it's and it's keeping everybody safe. It's it's of the highest quality there. Uh, also, our industry is really moving towards a contactless ticketing system, which we are moving towards and making great strides with. Um, that that has been very, very helpful. Um, and uh, finally, too, the the uh, online ordering, the QR code, um, there's something there because, I mean, when you go and you're able to, to order your food right there on your phone um, and have a selection from all those different things and, you know, right now get it delivered to you and, uh, you know, who knows what happens in the future. Um, it's just really great, interesting technology. And um, a lot of companies uh, have been pushing forward with this technology. Um, and I think it has really made great strides for where we can go with all of this. Mm -hmm. Cole, what do you think you're going to be carrying forward from the pandemic year? Yeah, for a long time of uh, the existence of Creative City Project, most of our team's energy has been put into our annual Immerse Festival that happens throughout downtown Orlando. But not doing that in 2020 provided us a huge opportunity to create essentially a season of programming mm -hmm. starting in July of 2020 and running through this show that we're about to open down the rabbit hole. The challenge for us moving forward in the future is we definitely want to keep both of those elements. But organizationally, that's going to mean a lot of need for more robustness for us. Mm -hmm. We kind of already operate on a shoestring of talent. And so it's just, you know, bolstering our organization to be able to continue to produce the interesting things that we want to make together. Well, I've been speaking with Cole Neesmith. He is the founder and executive director of Creative City Project. Cole, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. We're also joined by Jim Helsinger, artistic director with Orlando Shakes. Jim, thank you as well. Pleasure to be here. And Foster Cronin, vice president of programming with the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. Foster, thank you so much as well. Thank you. Still to come, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus may have packed up its big top a few years back, but the circus lives on. After the break, we'll talk to ringmaster Jonathan Lee Iverson about diversity in the circus and keeping the show going online. This is Intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. How has the circus adapted to the pandemic? Ringling and Barnum and Bailey packed up its big top more than three years ago, but the circus lives on in other shows around the country. I talked to former Ringling ringmaster Jonathan Lee Iverson about keeping the show going despite the pandemic and a new approach to diversity in circus performances. Well, Jonathan Lee Iverson is the ringmaster for Omnium. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jonathan, you know, you, you were the ringmaster for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey, and of course that is the circus, right? Uh, or was the circus. Uh, you're now involved in something quite new. Just tell us a little bit about what Omnium is. Yes, Omnium was established by uh, none other than Lisa B. Lewis. Uh, the mission of it is really to um, expand the message of circus, and, uh, and that message is inclusion. That message is humanity in its fullest. And so um, we're actually exploring uh, acts that aren't the usual suspects. So for instance, we have the marvelous Jen Brickabauer. She was born with no legs. And um, she is a renowned aerialist, author, 
speaker. She goes all over the world and gives her wonderful message. And you meet Jim Brickabauer, and I assure you, you're, uh, <laughs> you, all your excuses go out the window. She literally, she was adopted. She has an incredible backstory um, of her adoption. I don't even want to spoil it here. I want to, I want to challenge people to go look her up because she's quite amazing. And she actually sits on the board of directors with myself and others. Um, we also, uh, we've um, instituted a lot of uh, American Sign Language and things like that. So what we want to do is we want to broaden the big top. And we're bringing, we're, we've created a, a show and a company that really looks to be inclusive, not really just on racial grounds or uh, on uh, grounds of nationality or gender and all of those things, but also we, we want to also recognize this so-called disabled community. It's hard to use that word when you see uh, such artists as these. I mean, it's a really wonderful, wonderful institution. We're also celebrating animals as well. We have the wonderful uh, uh, Jen, Jenny Vidbell and her beautiful horses that are featured in our show. In fact, uh, you know, your listeners are more than welcome to visit omniumcircus.org. Um, we have a virtual show uh, mm -hmm. that is playing up until April 4th. In fact, we uh, just uh, expand, extended the run because uh, there is demand. We were going to just close out this month, but it's uh, continuing until April 4th. So you can get on to omniumcircus.org and you and your family can enjoy a, a wonderful, wonderful treat. When did you start this? Well, you know, I was invited to um, uh, join the board back in, I would say, I want to say August, um, maybe a little earlier. Everything has been foggy since we've been on what I call this National Day of Punishment in this pandemic. But, <laughs> you know, it was uh, just this wonderful, um, uh, surprising request, not surprising that, you know, someone would invite me, but, you know, considering where we are, uh, right now and live entertainment is just on hold and live events are on hold. Um, I just wasn't thinking in those terms. Everything is virtual. And I was doing some virtual offerings, to be quite frank with you. Um, I actually was, I did uh, a virtual show with uh, the great Lone Star Circus, which is uh, located in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I also did a virtual showcase with uh, Bindle Stiff family circus out in New York. So if you just listen to that, you know, I mean, uh, these circuses are in different regions of our great nation here. And, you know, thanks to the virtual world, you can, <laughs> I never ever dreamed of ringmastering from the comfort of my own home. Um, right. But it, it's wonderful. All of these institutions are great. And so when I was invited to um, join the board of Omnium and then subsequently invited to uh, lend my voice as ringmaster. It, it was a, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. And being a ringmaster is that, that is in your blood, I suppose, right? I mean, the circus is, is really part of kind of who you are. So it must be nice to be back in that role again. Well, you know, always, I, you know, the circus is I always, I, I kid and I always say it's like the sawdust mafia. You never really get out. Um, and, and, you know, unless you've, you know, squandered your relationships, you, you're in there for life. Um, and, you know, I've, I've maintained a lot of wonderful relationships. Uh, for the most part, circus people are very likable. And so we enjoy being around each other. And, but more importantly, we have this unique experience, right, that um, most people 
will never ever uh, have the privilege of knowing about. Um, and I think in that experience we have is we've seen, however imperfect, we've seen the possibilities of human interaction at its best. When you get all of these people together from different backgrounds and nationalities and races and genders and abilities and you name it, you get them all together, children of all ages together, uh, different political views, whatever, but you give them a common goal and that common goal is to peddle joy that show and everyone finds their own piece of dignity. I always tell my kids, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't care what it is you grow up to do as long as you do it with dignity. All work has dignity. And so whether you're a roustabout or whether you're the ringmaster, you have dignity in this world called the circus. The very word circus comes from the Latin root for circle. And so circus people have a real graphic understanding that we can actually make this thing called humanity work. We really can do it, but you know, I don't know, we have a hard time with it. You regular folks have a hard time with it. I think we figured out how to do it within the circus world and, and we've done it quite well and we continue to, even in uh, conditions such as these. If you're just joining me, my guest is Jonathan Lee Iverson. He is the ringmaster and he's on the board of directors for Omnium Circus. I mean, when the um, Ringling Brothers Circus closed down, that seemed like a watershed moment for the circus, right? The end of an era, in some ways, this big nationwide traveling extravaganza. It sounds like there's there's still the circus is still alive and well, but it's just in a different form. Like the the family circuses you mentioned that you were guesting with, and then um, this new form of circus. So does Omnium have a does it have it like a home base, like a uh, a location you you perform out of, or you will once the pandemic ends? Well, that is the plan that we will um, eventually uh, get under the big tent and um, have a traveling show um, once everything is lifted. Uh, so we're moving toward that, but right now we're taking full advantage of the technology at hand, and um, it's wonderful. Omnium is a non for profit as well. So uh, donations are always uh, appreciated. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and it's set up that way because, um, you know, uh, in, in the heart of its founder, Lisa B. Lewis, she's always been the type of artist who has always uh, used her art to serve. Um, she was very instrumental uh, with uh, Big Apple Circus in her career. And, and there, um, you know, they would have these wonderful uh, clown care clinics where they would go to hospitals and entertain uh, the infirmed in those in, in, in those situations. And so Omnium has, I think, a similar mission itself. Um, you know, we want to have a broad umbrella where we're not just entertaining you, but we're serving the community. We're going to be a part of the community. And we're going to show you how to um, really be a part of your own community and uh, really just enjoy the full breadth of humanity. I, I mean, I, I, I just buzz over this new show because... Um, it's all about, it's just all about um, bringing people together in a really fantastic and fascinating way. So uh, one of the kind of emblematic things I think about the Ringling Brothers Circus was the notion of just traveling around like a show that travels from place to place by train. There's something romantic about that, right? Because it's a throwback to an earlier era. Once uh, the pandemic lifts or once some of these restrictions lift and you're back to doing a live show, 
are you going to be on a train? Is there going to be an Omnium train traveling across the country or are you going to be a little more uh, modern than that? I could only hope um, that that would be the ultimate dream for me. I mean, I, I sometimes every Monday, every time Monday comes around, I I can hear those I can hear those trains going, man, mm-hmm. in, in my head because that's that was our travel day when, when um, I was with Ringling Brothers. And there is no better way to experience uh, the landscape that is the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why I've been such a, if I, I wish, you know, I wish this new administration the very best. And I really hope they uh, get serious about uh, our country's infrastructure. Um, you know, because it really does need a facelift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, one of my parents, as much as I enjoyed the trade, sometimes I would wonder, you know, are these tracks sturdy enough? <laughs> Fortunately, you know, during my time, nothing ever really occurred. But um, I, I do believe we really need a, a real massive infrastructure uh, initiative uh, to occur and to occur soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do miss the train and I, I really, I mean, that would be wonderful. I mean, that would be quite the donation if <laughs> we could get a, we could get on a, get on the rails. I would love that. So best case scenario, Jonathan, uh, when do you think you'll be back in a big top with a live audience? You know, our hope is like everyone we're, we're hoping, um, the fall, you know, uh, that's, you know, I mean, that's the projection personally i think it's going to be a while uh because quite frankly you know um for whatever reason we just haven't gotten a real hold on what this this virus really is and now we know there are new strains and you know some of the vaccines maybe they they have to remix them or what have you i don't you know and and of course unfortunately we have to deal with just bad information that's just loomed there and and because we have so much information coming to us people are just susceptible uh to bad information and so it is it's a lot of work that needs to be done um my my hopes are that you know our scientific community will have all the support they can get um that our journalists uh will you know work with the greatest integrity um and just getting us proper information and, you know, that's really my hope for people like the scientists out there, the medical professionals out there, just let these folks do their jobs. I, you know, they're going to thrive. Let them just do what they do. And I think if we let them do what they do and don't interfere in that, um, I think we'll come come out of this uh, all right. Well, um, Jonathan Lee Iverson, uh, ringmaster for Omnium circus and also on the board of directors for that circus thank you so much for your time so it's good to hear from you again and and, uh, nice to hear what you're up to i appreciate it keep the circus alive inside you up next how puppets are helping kids make sense of the uncertainty of the pandemic that conversation after the break This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Orlando puppeteer Tracy Connor has been helping kids cope with the uncertainty and stress of the pandemic with a little help from her friends. I spoke to Tracy about the puppet chats her company has been running online, giving kids a chance to ask questions and have fun one Zoom call at a time. Tracy Connor is the executive director of Michelin Puppets. We joined Tracy with her puppet Astrid. Tracy and Astrid, welcome to Intersection. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here today. 
So you've had to change a little bit, like many artistic uh, folks, you've had to change a little bit the way you operate during the pandemic, right? Um, and one of the things you've been doing is providing live puppet chats, which is a video call where children can interact one-on-one with a puppet in real time. Um, just talk me through how you came up with the idea and how that has worked for you over the last 10, 11 months. Sure. Um, well, Michelin Puppets has been around for 35 years, primarily as a touring company. We do issue-based shows in schools. And then uh, right after spring break, the schools shut down and we were no longer doing the work that we do. And yet we knew there was going to be a need for uh, children who were all of a sudden sheltering at home and going through social social isolation, um, maybe feeling some of the anxiety that their parents were feeling. Um, And so we know from our long history of using puppets in all kinds of ways that they would be a good uh, medium for helping kids kind of reconnect, help them talk through some of their feelings, give them moments of joy, um, and just help them kind of get through their um, struggles of being stuck at home. Mm -hmm. Some of the children participating have come back week after week, and so they're regulars. Many of them are on the autism spectrum. And we hear marvelous things from parents about the impact that these chats have had with their children. And one in particular, a little girl who uh, did not, was not very communicative. And she was going to be interviewing for a school and she had to do it on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And her mom signed her up to have these Zoom conversations with a puppet and she just blossomed. And she opened up and she was able to carry on conversations and she successfully had her interview for the school and and she was successful. And her mom attributes that to the puppet chat. Mm -hmm. So things have happened that we never expected. What is it about uh, for a kid sort of interacting with a puppet that makes it or may make it easier to communicate or bring something out of, you know, like bring something up for the child or just sort of facilitate a discussion that is not so easy to do if it's an adult or another kid like what is it about bringing in that extra element that makes things work better puppets have this magical quality they seem real but they're not and children are not intimidated by them they can open up to puppets in a way that they might not be able to open up to an adult so they feel free to express themselves and we've even heard over the years counselors saying if they have a puppet on their desk and a teenager walks in and puts the puppet on, they can say things that they wouldn't be able to say without a puppet on. Mm -hmm. So kids and adults talk to puppets freely, and they also talk through puppets and say things they might not be able to say otherwise. And so some children even bring, bring their own puppet into the puppet chats and have conversations. Is there one puppet that you use for these puppet chats or have you got a a cast of puppets that you rotate in and out? Well, we have eight puppeteers participating and each puppeteer has a particular character that's their favorite to use. And um, and they they range in style and they're all doing this from their homes. Uh, My puppet is Astrid. Hi, I'll just say hi to everybody. I'm Astrid. 
And so do you kind of know as you're going into the chat that Astrid is going to be a good match for the for the kids or No. Actually, when kids come back week after after week, they might request their favorite mm-hmm. or sometimes they like to meet different people. Um, but generally, you know, we we don't try to match anyone. It's just whatever time that the family signs up for, they get whoever, whatever puppeteer is signed up for that time. And who leads the conversation? Is it Astrid or is it you? The child. Right. Child leads the conversation. Initially, sometimes when uh, you're meeting the child for the first time, they might be a little bit shy or a little giggly, and the puppet can kind of break the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially for those kids that come back week after week, they have things they want to talk about. Sometimes our puppeteers will play games. Uh, sometimes they'll sing songs or have dance parties. That's what I like to do. Put on some music and dance. <laughs> so it just depends on the child what they're what they're interested in. I wonder if you could just give us a couple of examples. Like what what would be a typical icebreaker that you would use to to get a kid talking? Asking questions is always a good icebreaker. Asking open ended questions. Mm-hmm. And also talking, like the puppet might talk about, you know, like I might talk about something that I said or something that I did that I think they might relate to. And, and then they'll, they'll be um, like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. And, and me too. And, you know, and then they just want to talk. And we giggle and we laugh and we dance and, you know, we just have fun. And, and they're only 10 minutes long. So, you know, no time to get bored. You just kind of touch base, and um, have a little moment of joy. Tracy, is this a chance for you two to kind of reconnect with your inner child? Like, have you found over the course of the last year that you've you've rediscovered some of that sort of childlike wonder in the world just because you're be, you've been dealing with this from, from the front end? You, well, I think that's an excellent question, but I will say as a puppeteer, most of us pretty much carry that inner child with us mm-hmm. because we we work with puppets all year long, but I think from the point of view of the puppeteer, many of us have really been touched by the children or the adults that we've met, and it has been heartwarming and healing for us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um and so these are these are sort of led by children. Do you have a, a format down now for how the conversation goes, or are you learning something new every time you you initiate one of these sessions? Um, I think that um, each puppeteer has their own style, and we kind of leave it to them to do what works for them. And then they'll have relationships with the kids when they come back week after week if it's the same puppeteer and or puppet and and child. Um, But some of the new things that we are doing is um, using the puppet chats for groups. So for instance, we have a new partnership with Foundation for Foster Children. And what we're going to be doing is arranging for chats with siblings who have been separated into different families. And so we're all going to come together. The, The children from the different families will come in with a puppet who will kind of be like the facilitator or the ringleader. And it'll give the kids a chance to see each other and reconnect and have, have some fun times. Now those chats will be longer than 10 minutes. They might be, you know, 20 or 30 minutes long. So we're, we're looking for opportunities to use what we've learned in different ways. 
And uh, we've also, our puppeteers have received training um, from counselors and psychologists um, to be able to uh, handle difficult conversations, especially when we started. We didn't know what kids were going to want to talk about. We didn't know if they were going to be um, talking about the struggles financially that their families were having, or maybe they lost someone to COVID. So we provided training for our puppeteers. But the the reality is um, kids are kids, and they just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, they just want to talk about the fun things that they're doing. And occasionally they will give a glimpse into their inner feelings. And then we're equipped to ask them questions and kind of help them, help them work through some of those things. Mm-hmm. Have any of your puppeteers kind of had to check out during the year saying this is a little bit tough to deal with or, cause I mean, people are dealing with things themselves, right? I mean, you're not just, everybody's living through this. So it's been a challenging year. You know, we haven't had any puppeteers drop out, but we, we do have a situation right now that's that's pretty deep. Mm-hmm. It's it's an adult who was uh, mugged last year. He was in a coma for four months, and when he came out of the, the coma, he had severe brain damage. Oh, man. And his wife has signed him up for the puppet chats, and he's been chatting with one specific puppet and puppeteer, for probably eight months now and he's going through some really hard times and he does talk about what happened to him he shares his feelings he it's really tough and and we are looking to get our puppeteers some some extra support because she is not we're not counselors we're not trained psychologists and even even professionals that do that kind of thing need some support. So when our puppeteers need support and she certainly needs some right now, we're, we're making sure that she gets that. Mm -hmm. Because these chats are online, are you finding you're reaching a wider audience than you normally would? Uh, Well, this gentleman I'm speaking of is from Canada Mm -hmm. and we have people coming from other States too. So yes, they're not just from central Florida. We we've had them from Virginia and Wisconsin and New York. So yes, it's, it's had a wide outreach. Do you think you'll keep doing them after the pandemic is over? I can't imagine that we wouldn't. I think we'll be responsive to what the needs are. And it may be that we adapt them to different needs or adapt them to the time that we're in. But I don't see the live puppet chats going away. Mm-hmm. Are you looking back to a resumption of some sort of normalcy, though? I mean, getting back to doing shows and having a live audience in front of you? Yes, it has been a very strange year. I mean, we were a touring company for 35 years. We have all of our puppets are waiting in our studio and our vans are out in the parking lot. And and uh, yes, we miss touring. touring. We miss seeing children face-to-face in, in the same area. And although I know that we could safely tour right now because we'd be up on the stage or, you know, uh, separated from the kids, the schools will not bring the children into, say, 300 kids into a cafeteria mm-hmm. because of the social distancing rules. So that's not a possibility. Um, but we also are video producers, And so we've been using our time to create some new uh, video content. We partnered with Holy Cross Health in Fort Lauderdale and produced a series of videos using Astrid and some of our other puppets to teach mindfulness. 
um, to help kids learn deep breathing and other activities that they can do to help calm themselves and to help work through stress themselves so that they, they kind of have control over their emotions and they can focus. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we just produced, uh, right before the second wave really hit, uh, we were in production for two weeks on a new series on financial literacy, so an educational series. And so that's being edited right now. And uh, that was in partnership uh, with Fairwinds Credit Union. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've been busy. We just haven't been doing our live shows. What's it been like for you using the the art and the, the medium that you work with to try and help kids deal with some of these challenging times? Has, has there been an element of therapy for yourself as well? Because, uh, you know, a lot of artists, especially at the start of the pandemic, there's some frustration, right? Because they couldn't do what they had trained to do and what their livelihood was. And so being able to keep that going, I'm wondering what, you know, what it's been like and, and has it been sort of helpful to be able to sort of use your art to, to help others? Well, for me personally, um, my great blessing in life is to be able to use my, my art, my talent to help others, and particularly children. And I have heard from the puppeteers that participate in the puppet chats that um, it has really meant a lot to them to be a part of these conversations and they really start to care about these children and um, they talk about how it has been healing for them too. So yes, those were, that's one of those beautiful things that we were not expecting mm -hmm. um, as an outcome, but it certainly has been a positive outcome for us. Well, uh, Tracy Connor is the executive director of Michelle Puppets. Uh, we've been talking to her about the puppet chats that she and the puppeteers that work with her have been running throughout the pandemic and will keep doing. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, having me and Astrid. Thank you. Bye-bye. And you can find more information about Michelle Puppets and Puppet Chats on our website, wmfe.org slash intersection. Support for Intersection comes from Advent Health and from our listeners. Production assistance for this week's show from Clarissa Moon. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find archived shows on our website, wmfe.org slash intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.